I've had some folks on my team like come back with big smiles sometimes and they'll say, Christine, I was, I was actually in a, a backlog grooming session. And one of the engineers was like, I have no idea how this supports the KR. Could someone please explain this to me? Right. So that's, that's when you know it's working, right? Welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast about aligning strategy execution and promoting outcome-driven cultures. I'm your host, Jenny Harold, VP of Product Evangelism at GTM Hub. Christine Stone joins me in this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. She's the global head of technical program management at Groupon. We discuss her personal OKR to help women in tech gain influence, Groupon's unique experience of starting OKRs during the COVID crisis, and the three measurements that matter, business growth, business strength, and personal development. We cover a lot of ground here. Let's jump in. Can you tell some some folks about how you got to be the global head of Groupon as the TPMO person? That's a really good story. Uh, Groupon went through a stage where one of our CTOs had actually reverted the organization back to waterfall. He, as he came in, Right. I know. I made that face too. Um, So as he came into the organization, he felt like he couldn't get a good sense of what was going on inside the agile ecosystem. And he went back to his comfort zone. Like how many times have we seen that, right? Where people slide back toward waterfall. So he brought the organization back toward waterfall. As I was coming in, there were hundreds of people across 13 different development centers who'd all been delivering, delivering in an agile way or in a waterfall way. The challenge was that they weren't delivering. Projects were late, things were behind, and there was a new CTO. And he said, Christine, your job is to get us to Agile. So my first six months were spent predominantly focusing on how to help um, nearly a 1,000 people change how they did their work every day. And it was a lot of fun and really challenging. We brought OKRs in at about the six-month point. And I led that transformation as well. Um, It's really fascinating when you look back on your career and you start to realize how many things you've done in your past that helped you get wise. Like how many best practices did you try? And you're like, man, that slows people down. I can't do that to them anymore. Um, And then how many best practices do you use and you tweak a little bit? And you're like, man, we're really flying now. So by the time that I joined Groupon, I had uh, multiple experiences leading agile transformation, multiple experiences setting like multi-year roadmaps um, within organizations. I have a master's degree in organizational behavior and development. And so I really understand people and I love tech people uh, a lot. They're my favorites, quite honestly. Uh, So it was a combination of work experience and challenge that brought me um, to Groupon. And I've just had a remarkably fun and productive last two years. Huh. When you talk when you talk about people doing transformations and you hear someone actually smiling when they talk about it, yeah. that is a feat. <laughs> Christine, well, that like, is a feat. <laughs> so I've I figured out about myself. Um, a lot of people say they like change. And I feel like a lot of those people um I don't actually necessarily want to hang out with because a lot of them come up with a brilliant idea and and implement it or inflict it depending on who you are and the pattern. And then when it starts to fail, 
their resolve and their courage kind of, that's when the hard work happens, right? You come up with this idea, but it's actually implementing it and having it sustain over time and drive results. So I'd say the easiest part of change is the first part. And the harder part is figuring out how you're going to check yourself and measure yourself over the course of time. And I call that progress. So that's like change and measurement together over time is progress. So I'm really a progress maven. That is my comfort zone. And I'm a really comfortable adapter. I'm actually pretty good with you talent coming to me and saying, Hey, something's not working. I just feel like, Whoa, project, let's figure this out. And I think others sometimes feel like when you indicate something's not working in their change program, they're a bit defensive. And I feel like, Oh, thank goodness. We have this opportunity to adjust so that it sticks. And I led a team. Oh golly. How long ago was it? Like 12 years ago, maybe longer. And they were ranked the worst in the US out of 33 teams. And we made a lot of changes and we went from the worst to the middle after 18 months. And then three months after that, we hit our tipping point and we moved into the first spot. And that team is that team is still rated in the top three inside that organization. And I haven't led them for, you know, almost a decade now. So that stuff gets me fired up about what can I do and help other teams do such that if I step away from it, it exists without me. Um, I think that's the biggest victory if you can pull that off. I remember my dad used to tell me that a sign of a true leader is only two things. First is if you get up and you go in a direction that you look behind you and people are actually tracking with you. And then the second is when you walk away from it, that it continues, it keeps going, you know, it doesn't completely fall apart. So you're a leader in a lot of different ways, especially in tech, right? And something that we wanted to touch on today is diversity, equity, and inclusion. When we first met, you mentioned that you're an advocate for women in tech, like why do you do this work? You already have a lot to go do. Why do you do this work? And, and what does that look like to really be an advocate for other women in technology? There's a really simple answer. Our voices are not represented. Pay inequity, we're not present in leadership, we're not present in policy. One of the things that irritated me the most about the healthcare system is, I don't know if you know this, Jenny, but um, erectile dysfunction drugs were covered by insurance for years while birth control wasn't. There's a lot. If you start to dig into things and if you think about how those policies could have been stronger had there been a woman in the room, right? It's, I think it's reflective, not just in the world where our voices will make for better policy, but in companies as well. Um, I had this moment where I realized, man, I'm doing a lot and I'm not being effective. Like the women around me weren't gaining influence at a pace that was making a difference. And I realized I am doing the wrong work. So I started using OKRs on myself. It kind of started with, okay, what is my objective? And if my objective is how do I drive change to help women gain, gain influence? I was like, all right, so what is influence? Influence is, it comes from position and wealth. So what can I do to help women gain position and wealth? 
And for me, that's tracking three really specific things. How many women do I help get a new opportunity? How many women do I help get a raise? And how many women do I help get a promotion or a new job? And so I literally keep a list of women that I help and what the result was. Um, I think the, you know, the heart of an OKR is how do you measure what you're doing? And then when the results don't come, how do you, you know, make a change? And for me, what that looks like is I say no to purely social events now. Um, I say yes to a text at 10 o'clock at night from someone who says, I just got a counter offer and they need an answer by tomorrow. Do you have 10 minutes to talk like salary bonus and stock before I sign? Uh, this looks like I meet someone and two years later, they reach back out to me and they say, look, I've been asked to take on this responsibility at work. I don't know if it's the right fit for my career. Do you have like 30 minutes to talk over coffee and we catch up, you know, after the day or on a break, um, 15 to 30 minutes out of my time. If you think, how many times have you been in a situation where you were trying to calculate how you were going to handle a crisis at work, a negotiation about comp, a job opportunity, and you struggled with it for hours? If I can help somebody in 15 minutes rule a couple things out and focus on what the real decision is, and they can make a solid decision more quickly, I can save them hours and make a difference. So that's, for me, that's how I... I go after, I go after it. I want, you know, I want people to have a strategy for their signing bonus, a redefinition of the role, confidence to go after a promotion. Um, this year so far, the list has 73. So that's, that's how I measure myself. I, I looked at your website and you have this blog post called Want Progress? Measure. And in it, you said that one of your OKRs requires each leader in your product and engineering org to have a certain number of informal networking conversations to your point of like, you know, who are we reaching out to in LinkedIn, for example, with both external and internal diverse talents? You said interviews didn't count. Why did you set this goal? And what did everyone learn by incorporating this as a part of their practice? I wish I could take credit for this one, but I can't. I borrowed it from this um, brilliant DEI fellow named Corey Flournoy, um, and I we I continued it um, after after he took a great opportunity um, at Aurora. Uh, as we were doing this, it was so eye opening mm. because it was really hard. Really? Our leaders have deep networks, and their networks look a lot like themselves. And they, hmm. some of them literally had no idea where to start. And my favorite were the ones who like reached out and they were really honest. Um, one person in particular was a peer and he's like, okay, Christine, I got to be honest with you. It seems super creepy for me to like reach out to a young woman, you know, in any situation, um, cold to start to talk to her. And I said, okay, True. Fair. I agree with you. Fair, fair. Um, so I, I talked to him about like, there are ways that we can do this that become more natural. You could reach out to someone and say, Hey, 
Christine mentioned that she met you at Grace Hopper and she loved how you talk about social bias and machine models. And I was hoping we could do a virtual coffee. I'd love to hear about your work in this space. It's a simple thing that's professional. We're talking about work, but it's a way for you to meet someone you wouldn't have come across otherwise. And so I made some introductions and then I always tell everyone when you meet someone smart, ask them who else they recommend that you talk to. And that starts to help you really branch branch your model. How do you make sure that your teams are allocating time for building um, innovative things that support the vision? Because I, I often find with product leaders, this is like a challenge for them is we're investing in a lot of things that seem very retroactive. We're looking at uh, like the feedback we're receiving, but we also have an idea of where we want to head. But we, for, for some reason, have very difficult time trying to continue to build that moat, if you will. Like how do you all think through doing this? To be honest, you know, we're in our, this is our second year. We're starting our second year of using OKRs and we're getting better every quarter. Um, we haven't solved everything yet. And this is, this is one of those areas like we're killing it on transparency of work, correct prioritization, measurement, uh, dependency, understanding, and we're navigating our company through this crazy period of challenge. Um, I'm sure you're aware Groupon is an experiences company. So people buy a Groupon when they want to do something really interesting, hot air balloon, a sangria festival, um, you know, uh, a weekend getaway. Yeah. A weekend getaway, a spot, right? Mm -hmm. COVID hit us hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But with the foot, it really, you know, hit us with the sledgehammer, honestly. And uh, we have led the turnaround through innovation, right? So for us, the last year and a half, every single thing we did was to counter COVID. So we found ourselves like adjusting data models and and because you didn't have historical data in a COVID um, right. ecosystem, right? We had to accelerate features that helped us grow different segments of the market. So we've been innovative and scrappy for the last year just to stabilize and turn around our business. Uh, but now that we're starting to stabilize and come out of that period, uh, th- there are a couple of things that we're doing. So we always list features in our our plan for the quarter, but we started listing discovery features. So those are features that we don't, we're early stages, don't have clear signal on, right? But we make them be a transparent part of our work. So everyone can see the ideas that are starting to take shape before they you know, become a feature. Um, the other asset that we have is we have both a research team and a design team, and they are both led by these two brilliant women, and they're doing work to stay ahead of our team. So they're feeding us things that they find in their research and design work um, to keep us going. So I would say flagging discovery um, early on and adding them into our future candidates, and then really leveraging our, our research and design teams is one way that those are two ways that we're bringing innovation into our process, still getting better at it. So really it's about creating, if you have like a double diamond type process, if you're familiar with that, or like dual track delivery, where at the same time you're delivering stuff, you're thinking ahead so that the teams, by the time you do identify that this is an opportunity, you've kind of flushed it out enough where you're not scrambling last minute, trying to piece it all together and write you know, the epics and the stories and stuff where it's just like, what the heck is this supposed to even do? Right. It's really frustrating, I think, if it gets blended together in a big mash. So as a product leader in your own right, what what do you think 
because we've been talking about OKRs for some time now. You have instituted it, it sounded like six months into your tenure at Groupon. You're two years in. Now that you've kind of getting better at it, people are probably incorporating this as, as their practice where they're thinking about, oh, I'm doing this in service of advancing this key result. For the folks out there who are thinking about OKRs, maybe have failed and are trying to pick it up again, what do you have to say to them about what they need to have in place before they even work with it? Right. Uh, there's a lot of preparation before you're ready to go. The first thing you have to have is an agile org chart, not an org chart. Cause honestly, I don't give a fig. I don't give a fig who reports to who, mm. but I need to know for each squad, who is your named product person? Who is your scrum master? Who are the engineers who are on it? Let's make sure we're not double dipping and splitting engineers between multiple squads. If you've got a scrum of scrums, I want to understand it. So the agile org chart makes a huge difference for us. We've also identified who the business counterpart is on each of those. So I will have, you know, on a squad, I'll have a designer who reports to one person, a QA person who reports to another, engineers who report to a third product person who reports to another might have a TPM from my team, which is a delivery manager. They oversee like complex um, timing and, and planning of, of complex features. And the agile org chart really tells me what I need to know. Who's working together? Who do I go to to solve a problem? Who's got a JIRA board that can tell me what their activities are? How does this tie out to you know the product roadmap or plan? So this tells me how we really get work done. That's critical. Um, that took us a while to get solid. We found that we had some squads with multiple product people, which you know was a thing to solve. We had others without a product person. Um, so we got that clean. Once we did that, we had a we have a clear template and mechanism for OKR. So we use Silicon Valley Products Group uh, transitional roadmap as our mechanism, and we have norms for how you populate um, that that roadmap. Maybe, but as critically, we have an organizational agreement on how learning happens. Ooh, so let's let's deep dive oh, on this that. Is one of my favorites. Research shows us that 10% of what you learn, you learn in a class, 20% mm -hmm. of what you learn, you learn by watching other people, and 70% of what you learn, you learn by doing it. So early on, we did lightweight training, enough to give, give guidance. Then we started with three product groups and really shared what their learnings were. And then we started to roll it out with the understanding like, that we're honestly, we're probably going to stink at it, but we'll just get better each quarter and we'll figure it out together. But we had organizational support for an expectation that we weren't going to be great out of the gate, but that we would get better over time. You know, much like the transitional roadmap is non-negotiable. The other thing that's non-negotiable for us is timeline. So five weeks, five weeks before the quarter ends, we have a draft of OKRs for the next quarter. Everyone's got them done. We immediately go into a product and engineering review. Um, we collaborate together. Everyone looks at everyone else's plans. We're looking for things that got overlooked, like resource collisions, um, prioritization disconnects, uh, and things like that. Three weeks before the quarter ends, we take we do a final business review and we share it with our senior leadership. Two weeks before the quarter ends, they are publicly posted, so everyone can see 
what they need to have grooming done for to start the next quarter strong. Everybody can see everyone else's stuff. So the tight timeline matters for us. Um, we maintain rigor around reporting. We report monthly on ours. Um, we commit to transparency. The reports and the OKRs are on our internet. Everyone in the whole company can see what we're doing. Um, and then we have leadership support. Uh, one of my favorite things, oh my gosh, the things you learn when you do this for a long time. We had this thing, I'm not going to tell you which company, but we had this thing at a previous company that was called an elevator feature. And the way an elevator feature works is like you're going to a meeting, you hop in the elevator, a C-level someone is in the elevator. And by the time you've gotten off at your floor, that person has indicated, you know, we need to institute a frequent buyer program or something like that. And all of a sudden, as the person leaves the elevator, like everybody's blowing up the prioritization of everything else because now we're trying to cram in a frequent buyer program, right? So no elevator features. So we have a we have a an agreement with our leadership group that there will not be top-down surprise ads during the quarter. Honestly, that one still bites us sometimes and we're not perfect at it, uh, but we are we are working on it. So that that's probably the the Agile org chart, clear template um, or mechanism, organizational agreement on learning, organizational agreement on no elevator features, clear timeline, reporting, and it's all transparent. I mean, if you're ready, if you want to do this, I think you've got to have those things. And if you don't have them, it's going to be a steep hill. And let's say that a senior leader is bought into this idea and they're like, oh, we're going to go do this in our org. There are things that this is not going to solve. and in fact, it might make some of these things worse if you adopt it and you're just not ready. What would you say are those things that a leader should look out for if they were to think about doing, let's say they have some of this foundation, maybe not everything, um, but there are challenges that are ahead. What are some of those challenges? I think it's really three. I love that you said that this uncovers where your problems are. If, you, if you've if you led teams through using Agile, Agile at first is so miserable because it uncovers your problems before you start solving them. OKRs are the same. I think there are three things in particular OKRs cannot solve. They cannot solve organizational indecision, a lack of discipline, and a lack of muscle around estimating. Like those three things, you've got to solve those separately. And if you don't have those, I don't think you can succeed with OKRs. That's been my experience. And, and to be honest, we, we are building our estimating muscle. We track commit versus complete on every squad and, and we have plans every you know quarter to get better at it. We track turbulence too. Um, but I think that, that OKRs will not in themselves solve organizational indecision or lack of discipline or you know, problems with estimating and committing. It makes sense to me. Would you recommend, and this is something that I've been thinking about, you know, what to do. Let's say an organization surfaces that these are issues that they do have. Would you recommend the organization take on OKRs specifically focused on improving those areas? That is a really good question. Why not? I mean, I I feel like if OKRs can help me figure out how to be a more meaningful contributor to 
the success and representation of women inside of tech, you know, in Chicago and in the spaces that I work in, why couldn't you use OKRs to do this? I think it's, it's interesting though. OKRs are designed to support business growth. And I would say that this is really about um, solving business cultural issues. So I'm not sure how well OKRs fit for cultural issues, but I do think it's interesting when you say, okay, what is our problem? Do we all agree on it? What is our goal? And then how are we going to measure it? Uh, Some of these though, like how do you measure organizational indecision? I'd have to think on that one. When you mentioned those issues, I'm like, now you're going to make this would be a very interesting case study or a thought experiment. If, if an organization is facing that and if, you know, maybe they want to consider how to articulate that we are indecisive as an organization, you know, that we weren't able to make a no, right. a go, no go decision on something and how often that happens or surfaces. Um, right. Yeah. Anyway, something to think about anyhow. So yeah. we've talked about some roadmap prioritization and planning. How do you, so th- there's kind of two ways I've heard organizations that uh, are, you know, product groups, you either can have your roadmap kind of dictate your OKRs, or you can have your OKRs kind of dictate your roadmap prioritization. Uh, How do you all use them in conjunction with one another at Groupon? We had the unique experience of starting OKRs during the COVID crisis, right? So for us, there were no roadmaps. The focus was on survival and stabilization mm. and redesign of our business during that period. So as we're going into 2022, we have you know a stabilizing landscape, God willing, around COVID. And we have a brand new CEO. So we, we had our CEO just joined us from Zappos. Um, his name is Kedar. We're so excited to have him. Um, so we're starting to talk more about longer visions on roadmaps. And um, we're so far ahead of where we were. We're so much smarter about what data points are relevant. Um, I would say as we work on these longer term roadmaps, the things that I'm observing is we're having fierce conversations with executives around measurability. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about how quickly do we need to see materiality and impact out of things or where is signal enough? So we're having the right conversations about this. Uh, another critical thing that's happened in the last year and a half that I can't wait to see how it helps us in the coming year is we've gotten laser sharp about how big does the squad need to be to um, keep a, a feature or a product, an application in stasis versus, ha- versus how many people do we need to accelerate. So we're so much smarter about that now. So I think we're, we're properly positioned to consider the long-term views. Um, one thing that, that I believe is really going to, I believe it's going to accelerate us the, the most is we have a meeting every quarter It is my favorite meeting of the quarter. I believe more work gets done in those two hours than gets done in any other meeting in the company. It's it's that meeting where we bring every product owner together. It's almost like speed dating. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this concept where you get like three minutes to do something and that's it and then you move. We do the same thing with doing OKR reviews. So each product person gets three minutes 
to talk about their their transitional roadmap. It's not enough time to explain the whole thing. So what they do is they call out key points. So they might call out something like um, a resource contention issue. They might talk about deliberate acceleration of a feature, changing market condition, like a new way that they're measuring something. The group of product and engineering folks on this this call, um, you know, kind of in this virtual room, then gets three minutes to respond. So we ask questions and we're usually, you know, we've all been sharing our work in progress. So everybody's had a chance to look at it, but we uncover ways that we could help each other or we spin off really quick. We spin off discussions that happen in separate meetings around maybe like resourcing or a new look at at architectural alternatives. It's, it's our great last check. And I've noticed that in the last few of these, the conversation is elevating and we're asking ourselves about longer term um, impact of making decisions about features now. So I feel like that's going to naturally feed into our process of starting to look at roadmaps. But you and I should talk in six months or nine months and I'll let you know how we're doing on that, that long view as we come out of this COVID period. I can tell you, or OKRs have made us a different organization. So we're ready for this year. Would you go as far as to say, because COVID kind of did it naturally for you, and I've been talking to other folks that have been working with agile teams. Some are going as extreme as to say, you know what, every quarter, we would be totally cool with nuking our backlog. And there's like this fresh start that can happen every quarter. This is kind of contradictory, I think it feels like with traditional portfolio program project management. Is that true? Because I've also seen some some newer stuff come out around uh, agility around portfolio management and investment uh, prioritization in concert with OKRs. Can you talk through some of that, like how that happens? Because that's your, that's your jam. Can you talk about how all of this blends together because we've been talking a lot about releasing and you know product management let's talk portfolio management now which is different different game okay first of all anyone who's ever used the phrase nuke the backlog with you I want to meet them. So if you could introduce us, I would love that because I'm actually like a nuke the backlog person myself. Um, When I first came to Groupon, a product person came to me and was very, very um, animated. Christine, we have to deliver this feature. It's been in the backlog for 18 months. And I just started laughing. I said, okay. So like I've been here for six weeks. No one has beat down my door saying, where the heck is that feature? I haven't been fired because that feature wasn't delivered. I'm going to say something crazy and say, if we haven't, if no one's screaming for it, we probably don't need it. And it reminded me of like early in my days in tech, um, back when everything was hardwired there would be this moment that in the wiring closet, every connection on the panel would all be populated with wires, but you'd have like, like 400 connections on the panel and there'd only be 150 people in the office. So you knew that you had, you had dead stuff. So what we do is you'd wedge the door open with your foot so you could hear the office and you just start unplugging things and you'd wait for someone to go, Christine, and then you'd plug it back in. Uh, but I think that, that old features are much like that. 
they should be iceboxed for a little while and see if anyone remembers them. And when we, it's, it's like defects, right? You're, you're working on a huge release and there are 200 defects. Um, I learned early on, like you focus on the defects that are hypercritical. And then the other ones you kind of let sit for a little while and you see if there's still a passion and an impact for solving them over time. And OKRs are much the same. I love OKRs because we have to ask ourselves every quarter, is this valuable? And so I, I don't know that I'd arbitrarily say nuke the backlog every 90 days. I feel like we could lose some things there, but I do think the backlog needs a, um, a disciplined, unemotional look where we drop, we deliberately drop things. On the portfolio front, where, where is that intersection of OKRs and portfolio? Because I, I recently spoke to a, a group of uh, PMI peeps. Um, for those who don't know, it's the Project Management Institute. They're awesome. And I gave a talk on OKRs and someone from this group came up to me. It's like, Jenny, what is an OKR? I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, but it's starting to come up where folks are being asked, we're making these investments. Like this is legit money, like funding. We're funding them. There's people. How are we getting business outcomes? How do we frame this? So how do you all put together, piece together OKRs at the portfolio, the program, the project level? Where does this start to materialize for you all? We look at the portfolio through two lenses. First, we have confidence that if we do OKRs correctly, we're not doing any wasteful work on the product and engineering side, right? Everything's been checked. Everything has to drive a result. If it doesn't drive a result, we, we all, we stop it, we truncate it and we challenge each other on that. So we, the first place that we start is we look at the work. Headcount, we do not look at as part of the OKR process. What we do is we look at that holistically. We, we track capital time on our projects. We have a dashboard and we start to have separate conversations about what is our focus as an organization. And then we check ourselves. And if we say the top three things that we want to achieve are these three things, we take a look at the squads and the features that are feeding those three things. And which we say, is that where the majority of our manpower is going? If not, we should rebalance. We should look at um, whether we should have a transition plan to scale some squads down and shift those engineers and architects to other parts of the ecosystem where they can make a difference. But for us, the the, OKO, the OKRs and their support of our business goals, that's happening quarterly. These resource conversations, they can't happen quarterly because you can't bounce somebody from like a front-end squad to a data pipeline squad every 90 days, right? So we've got to think about thoughtfully as a business, are we broadly putting resources in the right place? So we split, and I like this because I think how much time did we waste in the in the PMI models for waterfall projects where we estimated all of the man hours on a whole massive project and then identified a cost 
And we didn't know that the project failed until like it was done 18 months later and then nobody used the app or the feature didn't work like it was supposed to. So I'd argue that we could either waste a lot of time measuring something upfront from a project perspective, or we could disconnect the project and the features, assume that they're being taken care of in the Agile and OKR ecosystem, and then start having a business conversation about resources in our company and whether we're putting our money where our mouth is. Like we say, these are priorities, our people there. The other part too is sometimes our customers, our markets, they change faster. And and the whole constantly checking ourselves with our OKRs helps. It really brings just this natural discipline to be adjusting to market conditions and customer needs, honestly. Well, I mean, let's talk about the local level because the folks that um, are working on this stuff, you know, sometimes look at it. I, I don't know if this happened in your organization, but I've heard feedback from other organizations where they're like, we set these OKRs, they kind of become re- irrelevant, we're using them for reporting, they're not really affecting the day-to-day activities of the teams, this happens. How, When we're talking about the natural ceremonies that happen with ag- agile practices, what are the main things that make OKRs relevant for that day-to-day? How should these engineers and the designers and the product owners and the scrum masters, how should all of these folks be thinking about OKRs and uh, in reference to what they're doing day in and day out? So for us, since we use the transitional roadmap, um, the transitional roadmap shows, you know, in the first column, the objective, in the second column, the key result, how you're going to measure it. But the third column are the feature candidates that are planned for the quarter that feed those OKRs. So every squad has seen the product OKRs and features proposed for the quarter that drive that result. So they know how their work ties back. So boots on the ground every day, um, that is that is relevant inside of Agile squads. And I've had some folks on my team like come back with big smiles sometimes and they'll say, Christine, I was, I was actually in a, a backlog grooming session And one of the engineers was like, I have no idea how this supports the KR. Could someone please explain this to me? Right. So that's, that's when you know it's working, right? When people are using the language and the beautiful thing about this, Jenny, is we have nearly a hundred squads in, I don't know, four time zones, at least they're making these decisions without having to come ask me or having to come ask uh, a head of, of a product space in a different area because they've got it already. They have the plan in front of them. And so there's no wasted time going up to somebody and saying, could you please clarify what's more important, this feature or that feature? Because in our roadmaps, we actually lay them out by number. So it's priority at the top going down the list. So there's how many places have you been where somebody says, wait a minute, is this feature more important than that feature? We need to go get an answer. Um, this saves us a lot of time. Okay. We're, we're coming up on time. And I want to kind of tie in this last thing because I think it's kind of important. It's kind of the question of the day. OKRs and performance management. This is challenging for, for many organizations that are adopting an agile mindset. They've, you know, gone through that transformation. OKRs are kind of the, the entry point to agility. That's a wonderful thing. 
And then you're thinking about, well, how do we make sure that people are actually engaged in this? How do we tie this back to performance management processes that we have in-house? Are you all making those kinds of linkages? And if so, how? We have been struggling with it. And as we've been struggling, I've found clarity, especially in the last quarter. I've realized there are three places we need to um, measure performance. One is OKRs. I believe OKRs are a company goal only. I mean, what are we going to do? Are you only going to bonus the teams that deliver features that drive results? So you're not going to bonus the teams that tried features that failed and we're like, thank God we didn't invest another nine months in those, but you didn't make your KR. So we're not like, if you really want to say you're going to reward innovation, you have to reward, like you have to reward failure and success equally. So for me, OKRs are a company goal and we have to support innovation. So I support that at a company level. Secondly, at a lot, at team levels. So if OKRs are focused on our growth as a company, there's a second area that's equally critical and that's our business strength. So if we have business growth, I think we also have business strength. And that category has things like passing audits, keeping the ecosystem secure, building a talent pipeline, keeping systems running and resilient. And most of those fall into categories where you could say, you could give the team business goals in addition to their OKRs and say, these are goals that we have for the team that are separate from OKRs. Some people try to shove them together and business strength goals do not fit well into OKRs. And you waste a lot of time doing that. So business growth, business strength, And then I believe that talent development is actually an individual level. If you really want to get the most out of a human, you have to understand their innate strengths. You have to understand how that ties to their work. You have to understand their driving motivators. So I think, let me say this confidently. I know that there are three measurements that matter. Business growth that comes from OKRs, business strength that comes from a separate goal system, and personal development, and that has to be individualized. So I don't think OKRs actually covers it all. We have some quick fire questions to wrap stuff up because I always end this way. Sure. First, what's your dream with a deadline, Christine? Uh, To give a big stage TED Talk. What do you appreciate most about your team? Their spirit of productive camaraderie. When you look back at... All the things you've learned about OKRs and the process and implementation and the benefits and the challenges for someone who's starting out, what would you say is like your one piece of advice that you would want to give them as they're starting their journey? Find someone who's gone before you, who's done it really well before that you can reach out to. For us, it was Silicon Valley product group and we, we, reached out to them at our start. We reached out to them for a health check. And then we reached out to talk about our first year in review. And those touch points helped us make some simple adjustments. So I would say find someone who's walked the path and is farther down it than you that you can go to and ask practical questions. And the last question, what's top of mind for you these days? Top of mind for me is excitement and deep interest in how we're going to evolve as an organization in this next year. I can't wait to see what happens with um, our new CEO, with a stabilized pandemic ecosystem. Uh, We have so many muscles built in the last 18 months that 
it's going to be really interesting to see those put to work. That's really awesome. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what happens as a result of all of the stabilization and bringing new blood into the leadership team of Groupon. This has been an epic conversation, Christine. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, Jenny, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.